Let's uh, open our Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 11. And if you have a prayer slip or visitor slip, we'd like to get those from you. And if you would, pass those to the center aisle, and we will pray for you this week. I hope you've made plans to be here Friday, Friday evening at 7 p.m. for our Good Friday service. We'll be observing the Lord's Supper and proclaiming our Lord's death until He comes. This morning, I want to look at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the King of Glory. In his book, uh, The King's Cross, Tim Keller writes, have you noticed that some of Jesus' sayings are like hard candy? They're not like chocolate, which you can let melt in your mouth, swallow, and it's gone, a momentary pleasure. With hard candy, if you try to take it in too fast, you're likely headed for the dentist chair or the Heimlich maneuver. Many of Jesus' sayings are like that. You work on them, you work into them, and you work through them, and only then are you rewarded with layer after layer of increasing sweetness. And that's certainly true when we see examples of his teaching. For instance, I think of um, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You think on that and you think on that and what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about a literal camel going through the eye of a needle, which is a total impossibility. So it is with a man who's trying to trust in their riches or their works to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples said, well, uh, you know, how is it even possible? Well, with man, it's impossible. But with God and his redeeming grace, there's hope for you and for me. And his teaching on the wise man building his house on the rock and the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the many parables that Jesus taught that were arresting and convicting. Jesus also spoke hard words, difficult words about the future. And to his disciples, he said in Matthew 16 and also in Mark chapter 8, that he must go to Jerusalem. So Jesus said this in advance of his arrest. I must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the religious establishment, the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. He said that in Matthew 16, Mark 8, and Peter rebukes him. He, he says, oh, this, this, can't, this can't be. Talk about a type A. <laughs> when you're correcting the sinless Son of God on things he's talking about. And he, Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. I remember hearing at a men's conference the, the speaker say, you sound just like the devil, Peter. That puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Get behind me, Satan. I've come for this very purpose. And so on Palm Sunday, we remember the entrance of Jeru Jesus into Jerusalem on the last week of his life. On the first day of the week in our calendar, Sunday, his triumphal entry is really the ultimate in contrast as he is praised as king on Sunday and crucified on Friday. Talk about fickle. Palm Sunday is another opportunity for us to remember his redeeming love on our behalf. And for believers, we gather together for this purpose this day and every Lord's Day. We gather together to hail our allegiance to our king who's alive forevermore and is king of kings. We enter into Palm Sunday and any gathering 
on the basis of saving faith in Jesus Christ alone. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So yes, we believe the recorded testimony of his word. Yes, we believe the claims of Jesus Christ. Yes, we rest in his promises to save and to redeem us. We haven't come to a, 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 in a sense of escapism, as if we're escaping the evil, bad world out there. In a sense, uh, the family of God is a, a, a covering and a protection. But our mode as believers is to be salt and light in this world. We haven't gathered here today just to escape something. We've been called out of this world into the kingdom of his dear son. We haven't gathered today out of sentimentality. Nostalgia. Well, it's Easter week and I guess we'll start going on Palm Sunday and write it out for a week. Hit the Good Friday service and... Yeah, we'll, we'll be here for Easter. We're not here out of a sense of sentimentality. We're not here out of a sense of, of, of rank loyalty. Let's just keep the club going. Somebody's got to keep the lights on. That is not why we're here. We're here to celebrate what God is doing and he's building his church in this world and we're a part of it. And we gather together to, to be reminded in the skepticism and the cynicism of our day that he is the truth, he is the Lord, and we are not ashamed of him. So I wanna look at this fulfillment of prophecy in, in this Palm Sunday message. I wanna kind of follow first and foremost, really the, the scriptural thread pointing to Jesus that we might worship the king who was promised the scriptural thread. We approach the events of Jesus's last week this holy week, and we discover again the identity of Jesus. He indeed is the sinless Son of God. We're taken back by the honesty of the, of the gospel record on who he is and how he was treated. And we are hit once again with the incredible message that we need God's grace. C.S. Lewis was once asked on a discussion of um, world religions, what's the distinctive of Christianity? And he said in one word, it's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Our only hope of boasting, our only boast in this world is what Christ has done for us on the cross. The events in Jerusalem were predicted in Scripture. This isn't something, we're not reading an account of you know, Jesus' life and ministry careening out of control and eh, it's just too bad it didn't work out. Because we're reminded that Sunday's coming, aren't we? Amen. Friday's cross is followed by Sunday's empty tomb. And this would set the trajectory for every believer for all of time. That we have hope no matter what we may face in this world. Someone has said that you need a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And so around here, you're encouraged to read the Bible and to listen to the Bible and to study the Bible and to memorize the Bible and to meditate on the word day and night so you'll be like that tree described in Psalm 1 so that you will have success wherever you may go as God defines that. And so we need a whole Bible to make a whole Christian and that's why I want to take a minute just to give a, a brief overview of of, of what's going on in this gospel account. It was spoken of in, 
In the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, we read in Genesis 3, uh, the first gospel, that uh, one would come forth, a, a Messiah would come forth from a woman's seed, and he would crush the head of the tempter, the evil one. But it was also mentioned and referenced in Genesis 49, as Jacob is dying and he's speaking words of prophecy and blessing to his sons. Some of them weren't blessings. Some of them were just telling the truth. You were a skunk and you don't deserve anything. But on this occasion, with regard to uh, Judah, they were all skunks actually, and all in need of the promised one who would come. Uh, he, He says to Judah, his son Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Kind of a cryptic statement, but Bible scholars see this as pointing to the scepter that would be promised in the Davidic covenant, that one would come from David and would reign on the throne forever. Amen. And that is Christ. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. The scepter symbolized absolute authority, royal authority. And this prophecy is further elaborated in God's promise to David. Also, we see in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 12, right on the, on the cusp of the, of, of the Exodus, God says to Israel, the Passover lambs to be slaughtered, the blood is, take the hyssop, the bush, used for the spreading and the sprinkling of the blood, take the hyssop and, and put it over the door of your house, and it says in Exodus 12, 13, when I see the blood, I'll pass over it. What does that say? That's saying a lot. Think of that was fulfilled. Christ is our Passover lamb. His blood has been shed for us. Those who trusted him, the righteousness of Christ is credited to them. So that when God looks at one trusting in Jesus Christ, he does not see their sin. He sees the righteousness of his son. And we are declared justified in his presence. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so this was God's provision for the saving of Israel in the Exodus event. Zechariah 9. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Behold, your king is coming. Zechariah prophesying about the coming king. And how would he come? Humble and mounted on a donkey. That doesn't sound like much of a king. Donkeys were used for plowing. They were a beast of burden, not for escorting a king into the city. And then Psalm 24, which was our scripture reading. I would have you look there again. Psalm 24. It's interesting that the rabbis placed in the Jewish liturgy Psalm 24 on the first day of the week, on Sunday. So in the temple, when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, the rabbis are reciting Psalm 24. Psalm 24 was used on the first day of the week. And if we connect this information, we may assume that these were the words being recited by the temple priests at the very time that Jesus was mounted on a donkey and ascending the rocky approach to Jerusalem. What a scene. The people were outside the walls exclaiming, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And inside the priests were saying Psalm 24, 
Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. What a contrast. The priests were not joining in the cries of acclamation for Jesus. And within days, they would conspire to have him executed as a blasphemer. The common people were spreading their coats, laying the branches for him to come in. Let's take a a closer look as we look at this scriptural thread from Old Testament to New. Secondly, worshiping the king who saves. Look with me at Mark 11. Mark 11. Let's just follow the, the passage in as Jesus enters Jerusalem, beginning of verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, I would remind us again that Jesus has already predicted that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this to the disciples. And this son of man term was really a reach back into Daniel 7 where the Messiah was mentioned as the son of man. It it was one of Jesus' favorite designations for himself that that he was indeed the Messiah and that he would suffer many things. And he said this plainly. He didn't say this in parables. He said this plainly to the disciples. And again, Peter rebuked him, and Jesus rebuked Peter. And he said that he must take up his cross, and those who would follow him take up their cross and follow him. So on this road to Jerusalem, they come to Bethphage and Bethany. These are two villages about one mile apart. Uh, Bethphage is one mile from Jerusalem. Bethany is two. Jesus often went there. Who lived in Bethany? Lazarus and his sisters. It was there that Jesus called Lazarus forth from the grave. Following Mark 11 in verse 1, at the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is this ridge about two and a half miles long on the other side of the Kedron Brook on the eastern side of Jerusalem, looking into the distance to toward the Dead Sea. And I hear that this view from the top of what is a 2,900 foot ridge, really is spectacular. You can see the whole city. And Jesus um, from there sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, probably Bethphage, and immediately as you enter in, there's a colt tied up on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it to me. Isn't that stealing? (laughs) Uh, Jesus preps them for the pushback. He, he says that, uh, tell him I, I have need of it. But one who has never been ridden, one of the requirements in the Old Testament or ancient rule for animals is that they could never be used to transport a king if they were used for ordinary purposes. And so this was Sunday, the first day of the week, and the Passover festival was coming that week, and the Jews came to Jerusalem from all over. And as the disciples retrieved this colt. They respond as Jesus instructed them to in verses 3 through 6. Mark emphasized Jesus' supernatural knowledge here and control of this incident. He, drew, he knew the, the, the disciples would be asked why they're taking it. 
and they simply said, the master, the Lord needs it and will return it. And so when they came back with a colt that had never been ridden, it didn't have a saddle. So what did the people do? Let's, let's kind of soften the load here. They put their cloaks on the donkey and he threw their garments on the road and palm branches, acknowledging that he was the king, verse eight. The crowds had already gathered on this stretch of road outside of Jerusalem as he's coming in. And there's a spontaneous celebration honoring Jesus Christ. Verse nine says that those who went before and those who followed were shouting Hosanna, which is a powerful statement from Psalm 118. Save now, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was what they chanted. And the expression, the coming kingdom of our ancestor David recalls again God's promises to David. I want you to notice something as you think about the Lord Jesus Christ and why you should rightfully bow before him as your only king and Lord and savior and God. Notice his humility coming in. If anyone was deserving of the entire city bowing in adoration to him, it was, it was Christ. But he comes on a donkey in humility. Friends, nobody would have picked him. He was described in the Old Testament as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. There was nothing in him that would draw you to him and say, that's the Messiah. And certainly not riding in on a donkey. In Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, these verses were really at the heart of my conversion. And it describes the heart of Christ. Come to me, Jesus said, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle, humble, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. His humility I've appreciated the, the writings of Joseph Bailey through the years. He wrote a book called Psalms of My Life. And he captures this moment in the triumphal entry, I think in a powerful way. King Jesus, why did you choose a lowly donkey to carry you to ride in your parade? Had you no friend who owned a horse, a royal mount with spirit for a king to ride? Why choose a donkey, small, unassuming beast of burden, trained to plow, not carry kings? King Jesus, why did you choose me, a lowly, unimportant person, to bear you in my world today? I am poor and unimportant, trained to work, not carry kings, let alone the king of kings. And yet you've chosen me to carry you in triumph in this world's parade King Jesus, keep me small so all may see how great you are. Keep me humble so all may say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, not what a great donkey he rides. Not only did he come in humility, he came in power. Power to save. Hosanna. The, our English word Hosanna comes from the Greek Hosanna, which comes from the Hebrew, Hoshiana. 
And that Hebrew phrase is, is found only in one place, Psalm 118, verse 20, 25. And it means save, please. In fact, in the ESV, it's, it's translated save now, save, please. It's a cry to God for help. Hosanna, save us now, Lord. We see our need for your salvation. I was just reminded of the urgency as you think about your life, your relationship with God, the life you now live for this brief span on earth. In Psalm 24, it said, um, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall ascend, who even asks that question? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, which can only come how? Through a saving relationship with God and what Christ has done. Do you long to ascend the hill of the Lord, to be in the presence of God, to be a true worshiper of Jesus Christ, to have your sins forgiven? If that is your heart's desire, the way that comes out is, Hosanna, Lord, save us now, save me now, please. But what, uh, something happened to that phrase, Hosanna. The meaning changed over the years. In the psalm, it was immediately followed by the ex- exclamation, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The cry for help, Hoshiana, was answered almost before it came out of the psalmist's mouth. In time, the phrase Hoshiana stopped being a cry for help in the ordinary language of the Jews. Instead, it became a shout of hope and exaltation. It used to mean save, please, but gradually it came to, to mean salvation, salvation, salvation has come. It is the overflow of the heart that sees hope and joy in Christ. So Hosanna means hooray for salvation. Let me just ask us today, how excited are we about our salvation in Christ? Amen. Are we Hosanna in our speaking of our redemption? I pray so. Hooray, salvation has come. come. Praise God, it is, it is here in Christ and will be true forever in this, the history of this world. Does your heart overflow with such joy and excitement? I pray so. He came in humility. He came to save. By the way, he's the only savior. The field narrows very fast when you're looking for someone to redeem your soul, to make it right with God. In fact, the field turns into a field of one. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus the exclusive claims of Christ. Please, please, I would beg, please, don't don't entertain in your mind that there are many avenues to what you think is God. I want you to know the testimony of Scripture is that there is one way. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. Jesus taught there's a narrow path. The disciples, the apostles taught, there's only one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's Jesus Christ. Please do not be deluded by the thought that there are many pathways to what you think is God. That's not in the Bible. That's on the Oprah Winfrey podcast. And it's false. If you could get to God any other way, and the Bible clearly says that the, the way to God is through Christ who died on the cross for the express purpose of paying for your sins once and for all. If there are many ways to God, we're, we're a sham here today. 
The cross is of no consequence. He's just, Jesus was just one of thousands executed under the, under the Roman reign by way of crucifixion. Honor, power to save. And so when we think of his, the blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, we honor him by declaring that. The city was stirred. Matthew records a little more detail. He says, um, the city was stirred by Jesus' entry. You remember when Jesus was born, the whole city was stirred up. It was stirred up. They were asking, you know, who is this? At his triumphal entry, they're wondering, who, who is this who has come? I long for our city, our Jerusalem, our nation, this world, to wonder in such a way. Would we be ready to declare Hosanna to them? How Christ has changed our life. We've found his promises to be absolutely true. We're not guilty of hero worship. We have a living savior who's coming back again. Who is this man? That could be the most important question in life. Notice with me thirdly. The return of the king, worshiping the king who reigns. We leave the account in Mark 11 with Jesus riding on a donkey. And I want you to turn with me to Revelation 19 where we see he's riding a different animal. A different one altogether. Revelation 19 I love to come to the end of the Bible, not to get bizarre charts or artwork, but to look at solid truth at who wins, and it's those who trust in Jesus Christ. The glory of this Sunday morning is that we are given opportunity by God's grace to respond to the King of glory. And in Revelation 19, it's a picture of when he comes. He's coming back again. John, the apostle, writes, Then I, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Now that's quite a different animal from a donkey. <laughs> this, is, this is the animal kings uh, ride on. Uh, this is the uh, a white horse is one of triumph and purity. And the one sitting on it he calls faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. What? Against whom? Against all who oppose his reign. For there's coming a day when every re rebellion will be quelled and judged. His eyes are like flames of fire. This points us back to the beginning of Revelation. His penetrating gaze, he sees everything. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And his, his, uh, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is what? The word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike the, down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty on his robe, on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. He's coming back again. Jesus Christ will return. 
every eye will see him. And the issue on that day will be, will you be found in him? What does that mean? What is your response to the gospel now? No, I'll have time. I'm going to live for myself now. I'm going to do what I want to do now. I'm going to play my cards right. And then when he shows up, seeing's believing, right? I will believe on him. Friend, you need to understand, it, it's too late. Amen. The time to respond to him, the time to declare your allegiance to him, the time to place your faith and, and trust in him is now. Not then. I got plenty of time. That's what the fool thinks. Today's the day of salvation. He's coming not on a donkey, on a white horse. He is faithful and true. Every promise of God is yes in him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall, it shall stand and abide forever. On that day, all of creation will bow to him and the collective testimony of this universe will be, of course, of course you are Lord. And one of the strongest statements on the deity of Christ, Philippians 2, it was an early hymn in the church, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, became obedient even to the point of death on a cross and God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow every tongue will confess and heaven on earth and under the earth will confess that he is Lord Amen. all of creation will acknowledge that all of the universe will acknowledge that that's the kind of weight we find in the Bible so when we talk about the second coming of Christ, I'm not wanting to hold that up as comparable to your favorite sci-fi. If there is life on another planet, be sure of this, they will bow to him. Amen. Allow that to change your worldview. There's no one greater on that day when you breathe your last and your loved ones gather around to remember your life. What will be most important on that day? How much money you earned? How much was in your 401k? Your notoriety and fame? Friends, all that's going to burn. The issue on that day will be, do I know the king? And is, has he come for me? I pray so. He's faithful and true. He's the word of God. There's the general revelation of creation. Only a fool could look at the, the, the wonders of this creation and, and say, you know, this is here by some cosmic accident. The heavens declare God's glory. The firmament shows his handiwork. So God speaks in a general way through creation, but we can't be saved through general revelation. Sin has so skewed our view of it. We worship the things that we should... Um, recognize the creator for and and then we read of the written word it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword it, it's inspired by God and is true for everything we need to be profitable and to be equipped 
But I'm thinking here, this word of God described in Revelation 19 is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ who in John's gospel, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. He's coming back. Notice my favorite title of the Lord Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will never be outranked or overthrown. Amen. He will reign forever and ever and ever. He has come to redeem us. He's gone to prepare a place for us and he's coming back to receive us. Are you gonna be among that number? Matthew's gospel included children singing offering praise to Jesus in the temple and it was met with outrage as John has pointed out to us. The little ones were crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. And one of the demands of the gospel is that you, if you're gonna come to God, if you're going to come to Christ in a saving relationship, you need to come as a child, not childish, but as a child. Meaning as a child in a general way, uh, trusts in the loving care of his or her parents, so we must absolutely trust in God's provision for our life. Children in need of what only Jesus can give. You don't fix dinner for the kids, they don't eat. You don't go to God for his redeeming love and work in your life, you don't know salvation. You need to come to need, in, in need. And that is the rub for many, if not most, if not all. <laughs> I began to do the list and continue to pair it. Just don't feel like we need him that much. Everything's going just fine, thank you. Um, he can mind his business and I'll mind mine until the bottom drops out of your life and you wonder, what, have I, what am I living for? I pray you would know him, that we would love him as a church, that we would exalt him for the king of glory, for who, who he is. I think of one of my favorite hymns, take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee, filled with messages from thee. Would you bow with me in prayer as our John and the team comes as we close this service. May we do so in prayer. And maybe this morning, this message has confronted you with your need to bow to Jesus Christ today. What do I mean by that? To turn from your sins and to believe in him. To trust him personally for your life, for your soul. To call on him right now. Maybe in hearing other parts of the message, you've just been challenged to surrender your life to him. Too much living with a foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom. Isn't that where the word of God always brings us, church? To surrender to him. Oh, and is he worthy of it? In these closing moments, may our hearts be completely yielded to him. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's Let's enter in this time responding in the faith. Let's stand together.